Good morning. Welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. Coming up this hour, we're going to be talking to some folks from Kansas State University. We've got the College of Veterinary Medicine, our regular monthly feature here. And then a little bit later on, Chip Redman from the Mesonet will be joining us here. Uh, but we start first with Dr. Sarah Kaufman, who is a clinical assistant professor in the College of Veterinary Medicine. She joins me in studio. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome in here. Is this your first time into Cayman? Um, actually, it's my first time in the studio, yes. Well, yeah. welcome. Glad Thank to have you. you in here. Yeah, it's nice not to be on Zoom this year. Yeah, <laughs> certainly is. We did that for a long time. I don't know. What, Stephen, was it about a year and a half we were on Zoom mostly? Honestly, I feel like it was a little closer to two, but yeah, about a yeah. year and a half. Yeah. I think I may have done two interviews by Zoom. I Pro- think. Yeah. <laughs> probably accurate. Yeah. Well, good to have you out here. We're going to be talking about uh, the importance of pet insurance here today, and the, like pet health insurance. Pet correct? health insurance, correct. Yeah. And uh, I work in both the dentistry department on the small animal side of the hospital. Uh, and also in general medicine. And so we see a lot of families come in and, and develop relationships with families when they bring their new puppies and kittens to us, and then we're seeing them for their regular checkups. And then um, sometimes along the way, some animals get sick, and we don't have a good way to predict who's going to stay healthy their whole life and have very affordable health care costs and who's going to have an accident or an illness that ends up costing thousands of dollars. And um, raising awareness about the availability of pet health insurance is important to me when I'm talking to my clients about taking care of their pets over their lifetime. Do you find that a lot of folks uh, come out and don't even realize that that's an option? Yeah, um, I do I do think that um, there's low awareness of it. And it's interesting, in the, in the United States, I think the figure is only about uh, somewhere less than 10% of pets are insured in the United States. And when you compare that to countries in Europe, I think they're they're getting um, closer to between 25 and 50% of pets are insured. And so it's, it's an option that's out there. Um, some families have different ways of planning financially for pet ownership. They may choose to have a savings account or a credit card or something like that that they have for emergency purposes. But pet health insurance can be really a good option, um, especially if um, we see a lot of college students and, and young families with their pets where um, maybe there's not a lot of emergency resources in the bank and, and that pet health insurance can really fit into a, a a nice affordable monthly budget for them. And I imagine just like for people, there's probably a lot of different types of insurance plans. Correct. Yeah. And for the most part, um, pet health insurance is more like a, a traditional dental insurance rather than what we think of as human health insurance. So most of us are used to, if we're on a, a health insurance plan, we go in and and we just maybe have to pay a small copay if we're going to see our own doctor. And pet health insurance isn't like that in most cases. There are a few options out there um, and some hospitals that offer um, what they call a direct pay model where the client just goes in and pays a small copay at the time of their visit, and then their veterinarian's office deals with the health insurance company directly. But that is very, very rare at this point. Um, it's more like if you've ever had a dental insurance plan where um, your dental insurance says, we'll cover this list of procedures and, and up to a certain amount, or maybe we cover this list of procedures and cover them at 80 or 90%, and then you have to cover the rest out of pocket. That's more similar to what pet health insurance looks like right now. All right. Uh, the uh, the affordability of it, uh, I, I guess, what, what does that look like here for folks? Uh, so there's a big 
range. And um, so there's different levels of plans and lots and lots of different companies to choose from. So it goes everywhere from um, comprehensive coverage that pays for your pet's annual vaccinations and their wellness care. Um, Some of them even include the cost of an annual dental cleaning, um, which I love to see pets on those comprehensive plans. However, the monthly premium can be very, very costly, sometimes even over $100 a month. Um, down to what's more considered an emergency, an accident, an unexpected illness type plan, um, which is something that I really encourage people to think about. And those are um, can be much more affordable, um, closer to the $40 a month range, kind of depending on the company and depending on the options that you choose. And probably just to start out, if you're just starting out and maybe you haven't saved up a lot, at least the accident plan would get you some Exactly, sort of- exactly. And uh, I feel like if, you know, if you do the math, sometimes those comprehensive plans, they don't necessarily save you money over the course of a year, but they may help you budget that money out. So you're paying, you know, $100 a month to your pet health insurance company rather than um, spending twice a year at your veterinarian to go in and get all your uh, annual exam and vaccines and heartworm testing and heartworm prevention and flea and tick prevention and then maybe going in another time and getting the teeth cleaned um, and spending another portion there. It it can be seen more of as a smooths out that spending, um, but the accidents and illnesses plans, um, those are the things that I really like to see people think carefully about, talk about with their family, um, because it's it breaks my heart when I see a puppy and, and we do its vaccines and it gets to be four or five months old and maybe it goes and gets spayed and neutered and it's had this, this healthy puppyhood and then one day they go and they eat something that they shouldn't and now they need surgery and and the owner's facing you know maybe a $2000 hospitalization bill and and that can be really difficult even you know even without the cost of well I just spent um, you know 5 600 dollars on all my puppies vaccines and spay and neuter and then now I've got this other bill and um, but we have an animal that if it got this treatment could be really healthy and and have a long and normal lifespan after that but um, so those accidents and illnesses plans are really really nice for situations like that where you don't have to worry about where am I going to come up with two thousand dollars on the fly when my dog does something silly yeah well uh, that's, that's tough. And, and most of us probably, you know, that $2,000 could go a long way here in your monthly budget because... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It just, it, it, that's so tough. And um, it, I mean, what, what about deductibles? What, what would you say the deductibles typically look like for these? And, it, and that's really, really variable. And a lot of companies will um, work with you based on if you if you call them on the phone. So I also encourage people, if you go online, it's really easy to get a quote online and you probably can find a dozen different companies that'll offer your dog or cat a policy. Um, But if you actually call and speak with them, most companies will offer some level of customization to say, you know, uh, your standard plan, this company's standard plan maybe covers 90% of the hospital invoice, and then you have to pay, the pet owner pays 10% out of their pocket, um, and it's going to cost $50 a month. And maybe you've talked with your family and you only had $35 a month to spend on pet health insurance. You can call that company and say, well, you know, can we 
can we revise this standard plan that you have and maybe um, change it so the company pays 75% of the bill and I pay 25%, would that bring down my monthly premium? So um, that's the other thing I wanna make sure people are really aware of is that um, it doesn't have to be one size fits all and, and the, the quote that you get online through an automated, um, you know, an algorithm where you go in and you, you say, my cat is one year old and, and it's a, a mixed breed domestic short hair cat and then boom, here's your monthly premium. If you call that company and talk to them a little bit more, you may get more options for coverage. All right. Yeah. So make sure you personalize it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually carry an accident and illness plan on my own dog. Um, and I, and that's what I did. I called and I said, you know, here's the situations where I might want to use this. I'm a veterinarian. I, I do most of my dog's own wellness care. Um, but if he breaks his leg, I, I want one of the orthopedic surgeons to take care of him. I don't want to have to to deal with that, <laughs> and I want to be able to afford that. So um, the the company I worked with um, helped me design a policy that would fit that need. Now, if you have uh, let's say you have multiple pets, you know more than one, uh, do they do they have plans for folks like that as well, like family plan? Um, so some some companies do um, what they call the multi pet discount. Um, so I think there can be a premium discount in some situations if you're insuring more than one pet with the same company. Okay. Interesting. That's an interesting topic. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about a whole lot, but uh, certainly a good idea to to think about it, especially this time of year. You, you said uh, before we got going here that you see more uh, pets come in here this time of year. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's summer vacation season, People are getting ready to be um, maybe spending a little bit more time at home because their kids are off of school or, of course, we're in a college town and some professors are, uh, you know, they're they're off for the summer from teaching and so this is a nice time for a lot of people to add pets to their family. And when you go out and get that pet and you take it for its first vet visit and the veterinarian says, your puppy or kitten is 100% healthy, that is the best time to think about purchasing pet health insurance. Um, so it's similar to other insurance products where if you have a pre-existing condition, then um, depending on the severity of that condition, some insurance companies may say, you know what, your pet is too high risk for us to insure, so we're not going to offer you a policy. Or um, it, it may have an exclusion for uh, certain conditions. So one thing that I see commonly is skin allergies, right? So um, dogs and cats can get itchy, scratchy skin or chronic ear infections because they're allergic to something in their environment. And that typically is something that requires lifelong management. And if that gets diagnosed in your pet before they're insured, most insurance companies are gonna say, okay, you know, no, no thanks, we're not gonna cover any of those costs related to the treatment of anything to do with your pet's skin. Um, and that can be um, a, a lost opportunity, let's say, on the part of the pet owner, where if the pet had been insured earlier in its life before that diagnosis was made, um, maybe some of those costs would have been covered. Okay. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Sarah Kaufman here from the uh, K-State College of Veterinary Medicine. We're going to take a, a quick break. We'll come back and uh, we'll continue our conversation. Take any phone calls if you got them, 537-1350. In Focus continues in a moment here on K-Man. We're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. Going back here at 920 here this morning, talking with Dr. Sarah Kaufman. She is, uh, again, with the Kansas State University College of Veterinary Medicine. We're talking here today about the importance of having 
uh, pet health insurance, and Dr. Kaufman, again, uh, clinical assistant professor with the uh, vet med. And, uh, you know, there's so many good reasons to have and carry pet health insurance uh, because they're, you know, they're just like us. Animals uh, have injuries. Uh, accidents happen. Absolutely. What would you say are some of the most common things you t- tend to see out there? Sure. Um, and I think I think I mentioned briefly before um, the young dog that eats something they shouldn't. You know, we we see that. I, if, sometimes it feels like multiple times a day. Wow. <laughs> we see, um, especially the bigger breed dogs, your your labs and your golden retrievers are kind of notorious for doing those kind of things where either they, they eat a, a fabric toy that they shouldn't have eaten or they eat a pair of socks or something that gets stuck in their intestinal tract and then they need surgery. And, uh, you know, those patients have a very good prognosis for recovery with appropriate treatment. Um, so it's really, really sad when we, we have to um, make tough decisions about not providing treatment for a pet because of finances. And I never want to see that happen um, if we can at all prevent it. So um, the young dogs that eat things we see all the time, um, pets that um, have fractures, so they break a leg. We see that a lot in, in our younger dogs, too. And again, they, they generally have a really good prognosis with appropriate treatment. Um, but you know we're we're fortunate here in Manhattan that we have board certified surgeons. But um, it's it's not an inexpensive thing to go in and um, put a plate on a fracture or put a pin and wire in a in a broken leg. Um, so it's it's definitely something that health health insurance could be very handy for covering the cost of. Um, I do some work in our dentistry department here, and another thing that I see um, that could potentially be covered by pet health insurance is broken teeth, right? So uh, those young dogs, sometimes they do silly stuff, like they pick up rocks in the backyard, or um, they have an accident where they jump off of something, and they they catch themselves, they hit their face, break a tooth, and then um, we've got a young dog with a broken tooth, and now, now what do we do? Um, and we have the choice of either pulling that tooth, which means that, you know, we're taking away the pain from the broken tooth, but then a lot of times it's a canine tooth that gets broken in, in young dogs, and um, we want them to keep that tooth. That's an important tooth for them to use to pick things up with, and our choices for treating that would be either removing the tooth or we have the option of doing root canals at K-State with our um, boarded veterinary dentist, Dr. Doug Winter. Uh, but a root canal is about four times as expensive as extracting a tooth. And boy, if your pet health insurance is going to cover that and your dog gets to keep his tooth and be happy and be able to pick things up for the rest of his life, uh, you know, that makes us happy um, when we can help improve quality of life because um, the cost of care is offset by a health insurance policy. Yeah, it sounds like nine times out of ten that having the pet health insurance is going to save you money here. It it can, and and I hate to um, overgeneralize, right? Because I have had clients get upset because they they had an insurance policy and and something wasn't covered. So um, it's really important to read that fine print. There can be a lot of it. It's still an insurance product, right? And um, just like your health insurance or your homeowner's insurance or your car insurance, it seems like there's just pages and pages of fine print. So calling and asking some questions about what's covered and what's not covered. Um, I mentioned broken teeth uh, is something that we frequently see covered by pet health insurance, but um, periodontal disease, which is more of a slow chronic condition over the life of your pet, 
um, oftentimes tooth, teeth that need to be pulled because of periodontal disease, the pet health insurance companies will not cover that kind of treatment, and that can be costly as well. So um, it, it can be a little bit confusing for the pet owner, um, especially in the dental world, what's covered and what's not. But typically, if you start looking through that paperwork, it'll lay out um, these things are covered and these things are not. And, and it can be variable from one company to another. And the other thing to watch out for is what's considered genetically inherited conditions. So those are things like um, hip dysplasia in dogs, which is um, still relatively common in lar some large breeds um, and causes osteoarthritis over the lifetime of the pet, or, or maybe um, surgery might be recommended to treat hip dysplasia. Some companies just don't, don't cover anything to do with hip dysplasia. Um, and uh, skin allergies, I mentioned before, some cover, some companies cover that and some do not. So really important to read that fine print because not every company is the same. All right. So you got to do your homework. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's an investment, mm -hmm. um, just like any other insurance product. So. All right. Well, um, while we got a couple minutes here, I might just ask you real quick, uh, you know, we're going to be warming up here this week, temperatures in the nineties. It's always a good reminder, uh, never leave your pets uh, in cars. Absolutely. It is way too hot. Even um, early this morning, it was already way too hot and humid. The temperature inside your vehicle can go up. Um, you know, it can go from being a comfortable 70 or 75 degrees in your vehicle to over 100 degrees when there's a, especially if there's a panting dog that's getting anxious in your car, that temperature goes up in just a few minutes. You cannot leave your dog or cat in the car in this kind of weather. And it's early in May, and I think it's likely we're going to catch some people by surprise um, because this weather is unexpected, but it is too hot this week um, and really until the the end of the summer season uh, now it's a danger zone to leave your pet in the car heat stroke can be fatal very very quickly yeah and of course if you have cats uh, especially outdoor cats making sure they have a source of water exactly yeah your outdoor cats and outdoor dogs you know we see quite a few people um, that have working dogs farm dogs or herding dogs um, making sure that those water bowls are getting refilled regularly and that they have regular water breaks is really, really important in this kind of hot, humid weather. I feel like none, none of us have had a chance to adapt no. <laughs> yet. We're just getting thrown in from a couple weeks ago. We were covering up our plants because it was freezing outside, and now it's going to be 100 degrees tomorrow. Uh, I know, nobody's ready, including your pets. So um, watch the amount of activity that they're doing outdoors and make sure that they, they have uh, clean, fresh water at all times. Can, can that temperature change, can that affect their their health too, like it does us? You, know, you get a cold here from a drastic change in the temperature. Do you see that in a lot in animals? You know, I, f I feel like our older pets are probably more at risk um, just because they're, they're – um, maybe not as adaptable and their their immune systems and their physiology doesn't adapt to rapid changes. Um, and, and also a lot of older pets have joint problems and things that they may do a great job of masking. Um, and uh, panting in dogs especially is something that can be associated with both heat, right? The dog can't sweat and so they pant because they're hot, but also dogs may pant because they're uncomfortable 
Um, so if we get that older pet who's maybe doing a little too much exercise and their joints start to hurt and they start to pant because they're in pain and then it's 100 degrees outside and they pant some more, sometimes they'll get to a point where they just can't cool themselves anymore and that's when we uh, see heat strokes start to set in. So uh, definitely be careful um, with their, those older dogs doing outdoor work here the next few days. All right. Uh, this time of year, it, uh, there's a little transition going on with the students in the vet med. Yeah, today is actually our first day. Um, I want to send out a congratulations to the class of 2023 from the College of Vet Med. This is their first day on their clinical rotations. So uh, if you happen to be in vet med this week, tell those students congratulations. And we're, we're sad to say, um, well, we're sad and happy because class of 2022 is going to be graduating on Friday. And it's always sort of a bittersweet goodbye um, to see all of our newly trained doctors go out into the, the wide, wide world. Um, but really exciting to see a new group of fourth year students and um, start the process of teaching them how to be in the clinic. What a great career field to be in right now, too. And I'm sure, like many, you're probably seeing a, a lot of openings for vets. Absolutely. It is unprecedented right now. Um, the market, job market for veterinarians, for new graduate veterinarians, is unlike anything I've seen in my career. And um, hope, we're hoping that that uh, job outlook remains strong in the in the future. But right now, um, our, our new graduates have not had any problems finding jobs, that's for sure. Good. All right. Well, Dr. Kaufman, this is a great topic here. Thank you for coming in and appreciate uh, getting an update here this morning. Thanks, Brendan. Stay tuned. We're going to continue in focus in a moment here on News Radio KMAN. We're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN, and uh, my next guest uh, is Chip Redmond. He's a meteorologist at Kansas State University and uh, works with the Mesonet out there. Good morning. Good morning. Appreciate you coming on here. Our topic today is going to be um, focusing on why it's been so windy here. Uh, in Kansas this year because it seems like it's a little unusual uh, spring season we're experiencing. Before we get into that, though, I want to just talk a little bit about the Mesonet and, and what it, it does here at Kansas State. Yeah, so the Mesonet is a fancy word for a network of weather stations. We've got about 80 weather stations across the state that collect data real time, and uh, we we record that data and, and bring it in to, to K-State and distribute it on our, on our website so people can access it at M-E-S-O-N-E-T.ksu.edu. And so you can look at the real-time information, which is really helpful for for uh, things such as heat index and 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 um, you know the winds and and di- precipitation especially. But uh, we also take that data and we put it into tools to make it usable for for different applications. So we started in the Department of Agronomy and still are in the Department of Agronomy at K State. And so our, most of our applications were towards agriculture. And so we have growing degree units, animal comfort, soil moisture, soil temperature, that kind of information that's all relevant to agriculture. But now we also make it applicable to many different industries across the state as well. All right. So really good tool here for anybody wanting to do research on this area in particular and then the climate. Yeah, it's, it, it's research and, and then it's also uh, to help decision support. So, you know, if, if folks are looking to, to, during this period of warm temperatures, what's the stress put on cattle? We've got a tool for that, that look at animal stress. And so they can calculate you know, how many hours have they been under certain stress and they can trigger different things such as um, when to feed and when to cool them off. Okay. Well, specifically here, we're going to talk about the, the wind here today. And, and it seems to me, and I was re- reading an article about this recently in the Topeka Capital Journal, 
but it seems like it's been an unusually windy spring. Is that fair to say? It's all in perception, um, and it depends on where you're at. So spring is our windiest time of the year. April is our windiest month of the year statewide. And obviously, as we get further east into Kansas, we have increased terrain and whatnot. But um, so far this year in western Kansas, it has been windier than normal. And with with a with a, a caveat there that we could talk about in a little bit, probably. Okay, so yeah, what what's what's causing that then? Yeah, that's that that's the million dollar question. So there's a lot of things at play here. Um, probably the the primary driver has been our lack of precipitation, and it's been the frequent cold fronts. We're getting frequent cold fronts with northwest winds, and those cold fronts shunt all the moisture down into the Gulf. And they also provide us periods of high, pr- strong pressure gradients. So we see increased wind with, with bigger pressure gradients across the plains. And so as a result, that increases our wind both before the cold front and then after the cold front as well. So with frequent cold fronts, we get more periods of wind. That's one component. The second component is, you know, we've been dry. And so we're, we're seeing increased solar radiation as well. We've had a lot more sunny days this spring. You know, we usually get a few days of cloud cover and precipitation, kind of like we had last week, but we never got that in April. And so with more sun, we're able to basically mix air from the surface on every afternoon. We mix it up higher in the atmosphere. And that tends to bring more wind or bring brings the air down from the atmosphere. And it increases our wind because there's stronger winds up above us than there are at the surface. So we're able to basically optimize that wind potential and get stronger gusts. Okay. I've noticed a lot of days here when we read the forecast, the winds are coming from the south too. It seems more frequently than any other direction. Yeah. Historically, our our average winds here are primarily south to to west to northwest, depending on the time of year. And um, we get our strongest south winds and, and it, a lot of it could be where you're located. You could have um, you know obstructions to your north that you don't notice north winds as much. But our strongest wind gusts have all been from the north to northwest. And that's been when we've, we've seen gusts over 50 miles an hour. Okay. Well, obviously, when you have that, it obviously increases the risk for all sorts of things, especially fire. Yeah, yeah. So fire weather has definitely been uh, – been amplified this year mainly when we put that wind with really dry conditions you know and, and then we actually had cooler but with frequent cold fronts which is typical of a la nina um, with cooler conditions with thanks to those cold fronts we are we've actually seen below average temperatures to start the year and so that has also slowed the vegetation growth and we had what we call green up basically leafing out and, and cool season grasses coming up um, that's been later than normal this year. And so we combine no green <laughs> with wind and, and, and dry conditions. Yeah, you fuel fire weather problems. Hmm. And, and I don't know if you know the recent rains we've gotten, if that's going to help any. Uh, maybe it helps some here, but uh, we still seem to be relatively dry. Yeah, we. It's, it's incredible that we can get almost three inches of rain in a week and there's no puddles sitting around. It's concerning, too. But... Um, with these warmer temperatures we've had, with that moisture, especially in the Manhattan area, we've really fueled green up. And so our grasses are growing really well. I saw some, several people out mowing on the way here. And that green grass takes a lot more to dry out. And typically, this time of year, will erode and, if not, eliminate our fire weather concerns for the time being. Okay. 
Well, again, we're speaking with Chip Redmond here, meteorologist at Kansas State University. Uh, with the windy conditions, does that um, put us at a more increased risk here for severe weather this spring? I know we've seen a little bit already. Yeah, we, we've had one severe weather episode. <laughs> and, um, so, so far this year, we've been in a pretty prominent La Nina, uh, which is the basically refer, refers to the, the ocean temperatures in the eastern Pacific. And um, that's really drived our, our dry conditions. It also tends to drive severe weather season. We typically see after a La Nina winter and into spring, we typically see active severe weather. Uh, some of our biggest years have been La Nina years for severe weather in, in the Manhattan area. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the trend has already been to, to shift a lot the jet stream further north, which is why I've gotten so warm um, uh, the last 24, 48 hours. And when we shift that jet stream north, we get much warmer, and we typically don't get nearly as much severe weather. So we're looking at a lull in severe weather for the most part uh, for, for this area thanks to thanks to the the jet stream shifting but typically we we would expect more severe weather and and not necessarily just wind that comes with hail and 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 i guess tornadoes too in flash flooding but um you know we we really don't see a direct connection with the wind to severe weather um and we've actually had less severe weather than we typically see this this area but the potential is there later this spring to to continue to see more active severe storms i've been trying to put my uh finger on it like a comparable year here in the last 10 20 years 2012 comes up uh, a lot here because that was a really dry year and there were so many fires is this typical or similar to kind of what we saw then well no two years are the same and mm-hmm. that's the that's especially when we look at like oscillations on a global scale and how they impact the weather um it's hard to find an anomaly for for this year mainly because 2012 was preceded by a really dry 2011 um, and they had drought throughout the summer. And we did have that in what, far west Kansas last year. But um, for, for this region, we didn't have that. And we just had such an incredibly dry winter that, I mean, winter is, on average, our driest time of the year. And to just get nothing is, yeah. is pretty remarkable. Um, and so that really ha- has played a role in, in, in the increased wind as well as a negative feedback kind of thing where you tend to get drier weather fuels drier weather like we get really strong southwest winds with dry warm conditions because we have drought in the desert southwest and so in 2011 2012 the drought tended to form in the plains so it's not a real good analog year which is really even more concerning um, because the driest as we were as dry as we were over the winter in in the forecast looking out are, are, are kind of bad. And so it would put us in a slightly different pattern than that. Okay. You know, speaking with Chip Redmond here, meteorologist at Kansas State University. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll come back and continue our conversation in a moment. Uh, you're listening to In Focus on News Radio KMAN. We're back on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, talking today with Chip Redmond, meteorologist at Kansas State University. And uh, had a caller call in. Who uh, couldn't stay on the line? Is that right? Okay, so he did leave us our, his question there, though. Uh, Chip, caller wanted to know if there's a gadget that can tell you the risk of a lightning strike near you. Is there a gadget that can tell you the risk of a lightning strike? Like um, there's several the handheld lightning meters out there. Um, I, I can't tell you any brands or, or what to look for best, but basically they, they pick up on AM 
interference that we would get on AM radio and uh, can can approximate if there's lightning in the vicinity of you, but it's hard to tell with the kind of flash and, and the intensity of that flash how close it really is to you. So the easiest way is just turn on your AM radio and find a find a station that doesn't come in very well, and you can usually pick up lightning that way. Yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, – sometimes I hear my headphones here when we're on severe weather coverage. You know, that – it's, it's a, That's it's probably a, not safe. You realize that, right? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, I mean, the tower's grounded, and it's typically after it takes a strike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, we got a lot going on here in the weather. It's been a fascinating spring, uh, to say the least, as it usually is in this part of the country. Uh, but, you know, we go from uh, hard freezes here a couple weeks ago to 90s this week. It's highly, uh, I mean, I guess maybe not unusual, but a little strange to, to be here that quickly. Classic spring. Um, you know, I, I was doing a quick little run on the numbers this morning, and even if we do hit the mid-90s for the next, like, three to four days, um, we're, we're not breaking any streak records. It's not crazy to get 90 degrees in, in May. In fact, our earliest 90-degree readings occurred in, in March on record. So uh, we're, we're well into the, the season for it, um, but our, our daily maximum – records are easy pickings with 90s or they're they're around the low 90s every day this week and our average temperatures right now are in the mid 70s it's like this morning we started out above our average high temperature which is really warm and and keep in mind though the climate when we look at average is the climate's the average of the extremes so it includes the record warmest and the record coldest, and you're averaging those out to some value. That's really probably not realistic on a, on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, our average, saying average a lot, but our average la- late last freeze of the spring is is usually about mid-April. So we were kind of right on track with, with the freeze. Now, if we were to get a freeze after a, an event like this with 90s, then, yeah, we'd be really concerned. But the forecast looks pretty pretty like we're we're going to stay warmer through that period so um it's it's a big swing it's really hard on the system it's really hard on, on the animals and uh you know we just have to be prepared and, and and adjust to it drink more water spend less time outside don't do things nearly as extraneous as you would in the summer because you just haven't had time to adjust yeah well you know, we were just my wife and i were talking over the weekend you know is it time to put the coats away i mean you never know this time of year. I would, I would presume yes, but you know the temperature may shift again here next week. Yeah, we're not going to stay this warm forever, which is a blessing. We don't want to stay this warm forever. Um, you know, we do look at some cooler temperatures over the weekend, and and I just think I mean, climatology climatology doesn't tell you to put the coat away till June. Uh, we can have very cold. Our a record latest freeze is is May twenty seventh. So we still have that potential for another several weeks uh, for just to – so don't put that coat away and be prepared for fluctuating temperatures. Today's an anomaly, and this week will be an anomaly. Okay. Well, looking out to the, the rest of this, this summer here, are we, are we going to see a warmer-than-usual uh, summer in your opinion? The million-dollar question. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I've been concerned about – this spring in, in in this summer, mainly because we're going into we have La Nina still persisting. It looks likely now to persist through the summer, and, and we're likely to get a third dip potentially, which has only ever happened twice ever. So basically, three years in a row of La Nina winters. 
Um, that's really rare. And as a result, the predictability goes down <laughs> pretty quick. We've been expecting warmer and drier than normal temperatures for every month for the next six months, eight months, since basically January. We didn't really verify the above normal temperatures, but we verified the below normal precipitation. And as a result, looking at the models that go out long term, it's, it's as we get warmer now, finally, and we still don't see a ton of moisture in the in the forecast, that below normal precipitation looks to verify and above normal temperatures looks to verify probably through the summer, which is really, really bad news for folks who did not get a lot of rain last week. Yeah, gosh. And and this state, you look at the state of Kansas, there's so many different um, regions here ecologically. And uh, the, the southwestern part seems to get the driest weather of all. But uh, the outlook for them, is it looking any better? Well, they are the far southwest is an exceptional D four drought, which is the worst. Mm. It can't go, it can't get any worse. They've got wheat that never came up in the fall, um, and they've got wheat that's heading out that's only a few inches high, um, if if it came up at all. And and that the, when that area is as dry as it is and expected to get drier, that's a big concern because when we look at our southwest flow, we advect or move that warm dry air that resides over those drought-stricken areas, we tend to move it more easterly. And and if we don't have uh, a period of significant moisture in the next several weeks, you know, their their spring outlook gets even, or their summer outlook gets even worse. So we, we really need a significant shift. And, you know, last week's precipitation was enough to cut our deficit from April in about half. <laughs> which is not much. We average in Manhattan area, we average five inches. The Southeast, they average a lot more. Um, but when you look at the amount of moisture we got last week across the state, it was just a fraction. So well, pretty much everyone's in the same boat, no matter what your drought level is, except for that Southwest. They're by far the worst. Yeah. Well, we keep uh, hoping that things will get better for them out there. You know, it's interesting. We, we're in the 90s here today. I have folks who live back in Idaho, my, my parents and my brother, and they're dealing with some snow showers today. <laughs> it's just wild, the phenomenon that you can experience this time of year. Yeah, well, they need snow. <laughs> they need a lot more than just showers. And uh, the whole western U.S. has just been in a significant snow drought. And, and, and they, they, they might be getting snow showers, but they're almost in the same place as we are. Just, we just, all of us need moisture and we need it in any way, shape or form we can get. I'd take some snow showers right about now. Yeah. I, I, I think rain would be fine by, by my account here, but yeah, snow, I don't know. Not in May. <laughs> I've seen snow in May and I don't like it. Yeah. As long as it's light and the temperature stays above freezing, that's, that's fine for me. Yeah. Well, is there anything else we haven't covered here today that you think might be uh, of of uh, note here to pass along? Yeah, you know, I, I did. We, we've had a lot of wind and drought. There's a drought in how it impacts wind has been a common question. Um, you know, it, it basically feeds it with drier air aloft, especially when we look at Western U.S., that air moves over us. It's just in a higher elevation. Um, and so that really helps with sun and that really brings stronger winds. The other concern is, you know, we had smoke in the skies this morning. The New Mexico has got a lot of fire on the ground right now, and that, that was a source of smoke today. So let's hope these fire concerns go down. Uh, they, they're still there for western Kansas right now uh, and through the week. And then, um, 
you know, let's let's hope that these forecasts don't verify and we can get some moisture in here. Yeah, we certainly need it. We need that to continue. Last uh, the last few days it was nice getting the the rain showers. It was it was a good rain, good soaker here. Like last what Wednesday Thursday, it was really nice. Yeah, according to Mesonet, we had about three inches of moisture. So you know that's that we still need another two to three inches to come break even for May. So we got a long ways to go. All right. Well, Chip, this has uh, been very eye-opening. Appreciate you coming out here today, and uh, we'll try to do this a little more often. Yeah, that sounds great. Anytime you want us. Okay. That's going to wrap up our program here for today. Thanks to Chip Redmond. Thanks to uh, Sarah Kaufman over at the K-State College of Veterinary Medicine. Our program tomorrow will feature Riley County Commissioner Greg McKinley, and he'll be joining us here for the hour tomorrow.